Well, welcome everybody to volume 11 of the Dropping Keys podcast. Yes, volume 11 of conversations with real people living real lives to glean their insights and keys to life, leadership, love, and well, whatever else we get into. I'm Joel Morgan, your host, and I'm the head of Key Exploration. Well, why is it called Dropping Keys? Well, in a few moments, you're going to hear me read a poem by Hafez, who was a 14th century mystic and poet, and that poem is the inspiration for this podcast. Why me? Well, I like to say that I wake people up for a living, and what I mean by that is that I help to instigate important conversations with individuals and organizations to wake them up to where they are now and to help them move forward. I'm a writer, a coach, an inspirational speaker, and I'm a seeker of keys to help myself and others live lives of meaning, connection, and purpose. And why do I say real people in real life? Well, I'm just not attracted to the quote unquote superstars of our time anymore. I've heard enough of them on podcasts and everywhere else. I wanted to hear from people who are in the arena, giving their heart and their soul to work, family, community, those who don't get the big headlines necessarily or have their praises sung from on high, at least right at the moment. I didn't hear those voices out there and I wanted to bring them to you. And selfishly, I wanted an excuse to ask great questions and to plumb the depth of what gives others life and releases them from the cages in which they find themselves. Today, we're in for a special treat. My Dropping Keys co-conspirator is Dr. Sabrina Indai. Indai. Dr. Sabrina um, is a therapist, a storyteller. She's a peace builder. She began her career as a social worker in the New York City foster care system, where she served as a therapist in a residential treatment and educational facility. She received her PhD in mind-body medicine from Saybrook University, where she studied the use of complementary and alternative interventions for physical, emotional, and spiritual growth. Since completing her doctorate, she's developed curriculum and served as adjunct faculty for Maryland University of Integrative Health and Saybrook University. She is an integrative uh, psychotherapist and founder of the Heartness Center for Peace and Healing in Baltimore, Maryland. There, she serves women, couples, other healers, and small group, groups. Her approach to healing is a blend of wisdom, science, and ancient spiritual practices. She's a senior faculty member of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, where she teaches the art of self-care to healthcare professionals around the globe. She mentors healthcare professionals across the country, serving them and their desire to make a living while serving humanity. As center faculty, she has also responded to community trauma in Las Vegas, Houston, the Pine Ridge Reservation, New York City, and the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Florida. She's currently completing her book, The Laugh of Love, based on her maternal grandmother's ability to transcend multiple traumas and chronic illness. Dr. Sabrina is a devoted wife, mother, daughter, a lifelong learner who remains humbled by the healing power of compassion, love, and forgiveness. She has committed her life to continuing the sacred Sufi teachings of peace, love, justice, mercy. Welcome, Dr. Sabrina. I'm going to read Dropping Keys now. And on, once I'm finished, I'm just going to ask you to share any first thoughts or reflections or questions that are brought to you by the poem. So here we go. The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage, who has to duck his head when the moon is low, keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful 
rowdy prisoners. Hmm. Whenever you're ready. Hmm. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Joel. Um, so what came to me while you were reading that short piece from Hafiz was um, um, an experience that, well, I mean, two things came to me. One, you know, that to me, that is the essence of what therapy is supposed to be, that people come to me, to any therapist that focuses on, on the spirit and they want freedom. Like they're, they're, they're trapped in these little boxes that um, they were not born in. So a lot of my work is about helping people ask, like asking people the question, like when, when, when did you put yourself in that box? Who put you in that box? Why are you still in that box? (laughs) (laughs) You can move. You don't have to live there. And I think there's a roomy, there's a half his poem that talks about that too. Like, why are you, why do you live there? You could find much better, you could find much better accommodations. And and I feel like to me, that's what therapy is. And um, that is my life's work, both for myself. Like I'm always looking at, where did I get that thought from? Create that that notion of separation between me and other humanity, between me and who I'm supposed to be. And so my goal is to help me, help myself, and help other people. Go back to who you were before you ever saw that box. And for most of us, there's a glorious place. And most of us can identify a time in our lives where we moved into the box and we were very, very young very young mm. and we well, just never left yeah well if you go back so if you go back to to your childhood what mm-hmm. what what is the first box that you remember oh. moving into well that's an interesting question because it's also related to um what i've been writing about and what my work has been moving towards um it it I was I was beginning to be placed in the box when I was five. And I did some some personal retreat work with one of my teachers and realized that that five is when I really stopped being a child. And um, I was forced out of childhood because my mother had to tell me that in our world, I was black. And it was I had this little friend and we were kindergartening. We were little girls. <laughs> we just wanted, yeah. we just wanted to hang out. And um, I can remember being five years old, and my mom let me go to this girl's house. And this is New York City, which actually is one of the most segregated places. It's it's shifting a lot now, but up until maybe ten years ago, it was still very very segregated, and it still is. But um, this little girl. Um, lived on one part of town, I lived in another, and my mother let me go play at her house. We played, we played, we played. And then we had this this great plan, like you're gonna come to my house. And the two mothers gave each other a look. And when we got home, my mother said, she can't come to your house. And I was like, well, why? She was like, cause you're black. And her mother's never gonna let her come over here. 
well, I'm actually not even black. I'm I'm burnt sienna, mommy. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this black stuff? Where did this come from? <laughs> Let me show you the Crayola, Crayola box <laughs> color. Let me show you the crayons. What the hell is this? I'm burnt sienna. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I just recently wrote a blog about it, like how it, 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 it set into motion these, these limitations that I have lived my entire life, like moving out of, you know, and, but now I, I'm looking at how my, my life's work as a peace builder, as a woman who's committed to like liberating all of us from this bondage no matter what our membranes are, what our membrane, this, this skin membrane looks like and moving people out of it is, um, it's, it's my life's work. And so I'm looking at when I, when I crawl out of it and when I crawl back in and when I crawl out and get a taste of the world and, and lick the rain and, and have crawled back in. And, and now I'm like this box, I can't, I can't, I can't even visit the box. But I do notice different times in my life where people have tried to put me back in there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or when I crawl back in there on my own and say, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, well, so what did that, what did that cause? What did that, what kind of decisions did you make as a five-year-old then, or, you know, that then had repercussions um, later with that, with that box or that cage? Yeah. So as a five-year-old, um, it, it created a lot of disharmony and a lot of confusion. First of all, what does this mean to be black when I'm burnt sienna? <laughs> and, and then um, the, the decision to not invite another white friend to my house to play ever for many years. And like, it was like, I know the rules. She doesn't know the rules. Her mother didn't have to tell her the rules. My mother had to tell me the rules. Okay. And so it set into motion, like me sort of like swallowing a lot of um, experiences and not speaking up when I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is not comfortable. This is, I don't even have words like oppression or discrimination. I just had like, Ooh, this, this ain't right. Like, what are you doing? And um, witnessing my mom go to rage and witnessing my dad go, um, you know, to, I don't, I wouldn't call it submission. I, I call it like figuring out how to play, literally figuring out how to play this corporate game that America poses on people. And so he, you know, he became very masterful at that. And my mother became very angry and I was able to sort of, find my way in the middle, navigate situations, places, people that most of my peers didn't know how to do. And I learned how to just live in two worlds, literally. Yeah. Well, so, so when, when, so then you said you, you were working with someone and you realized it was at five that this happened. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when was it that you began to go, this isn't, this isn't helpful to my life like this, uh, even though, even though I'm navigating, even though I'm, you know, which is a great word, right? We navigate, we ride the waves, but this isn't, this isn't helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of a process too, because at some point I said, this isn't helpful. And I decided that I didn't want to be around any white people. And then I was like, well, this ain't helpful. 
<laughs> so so let's let's make the cage let's 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 put a little cage inside the cage yeah. right uh, and then and it never and my heart would always do you know these these crazy things anyway so I, I moved back to new york i moved to harlem and and i just was like okay no white people allowed just no white people but it, that, that was ridiculous because my heart my heart really would just was always just drawn to other hearts and so my family would be like, where'd you find this woman? Where'd you find her? I'm 22 years old and my best friend is a 48 year old white Jewish woman. You know, my family's like, where'd you find her? And I'm like, well, she's my friend. So, and so, you know, she'd be at my house. And, and uh, I always, I, I just, I would like, yeah, I would go in and out, in and out. And I would be like, this is kind of, this is kind of, and then I noticed how it would put me in a, in a professional box. And I was like, this is kind of stupid. And I guess at some point in my twenties, um, when I started studying Sufism for the first time, I realized that my heart was just too big to be confined that way. And there's there's multiple layers in that, too, because then, you know, once you get into this whole race box, then you get into a class box and the class box has has race, education, income, income potential. All of these things are, are like, I guess it's like a box inside of a box inside of a box, like you said. And, and I kept saying, I just and then I fell in love with a farmer from West Africa. Mm. And so while I'm living in this quote unquote all black box, um, my 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 African American family is like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Where's he from? Who's his mother? Where's his education? Oh no, you have a master's degree. Like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like, well, yeah, actually I can. <laughs> And um, it showed up in the workplace because my, my best boss at that time didn't have a degree. And so I started hanging out with people who weren't in that box of education that American, this American system imposes on people. So now I'm sitting here talking to you, Joel, and I'm realizing that I was always opening. I don't know if I ever, if the cage was ever locked again after I was five, but I would open it and and stay out for a while and and then someone would try to put me back in i would say yeah i don't like it that much and leave and it was just sort of an in and out thing the more i'm contemplating it yeah um does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah and so it's, it's multi-layered the class box is something that um i've been looking at a lot lately and the interplay between the two and the imposition that it puts on people and I had a conversation with um, this rabbi friend of mine a couple of years ago. We were talking, I don't know how we ended up on this conversation, but you know, many of us that grow up in this culture and then other of us that grow up in impoverished communities or disenfranchised communities, we feel a strong urge to get a, 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 an education. Mm -hmm, right. <laughs> like this, this brings parity, this, this notion of I have to have this degree and I have a ridiculous number of degrees. I don't want another one. Like, all I want to do is learn. I want to learn till I die, but I don't want another degree. But um, I, was having a, I was having a conversation with this rabbi friend, and we were talking about student loans. And he said, well, don't you think it's interesting that we live in a culture that forces you to be in debt and then shames you for it? 
And I said, oh, oh, you're so right. So even sitting here with you, I'm noticing that's another box, right? Mm. Oh, oh, I have debt. Oh, I must, you know, I must hide it or be ashamed of it or not talk about it or, or question my value because of it when there is really no other way <laughs> mm. to make these things happen. To, so the parody involves debt and then debt involves shame and then shame involves a box. And so I just recently decided, like, I don't give a crap about that box. I'm not ashamed of that box. Mm. Who gives the crap? So I keep like looking at it and going, okay. And now I'm just, so I, a part of my dissertation really looked at that shame box um, that a lot of people end up in for a myriad of reasons. Um, I'm ashamed of whatever, like whatever these things are. And so I realized, um, I, I looked, I read a lot of, I read Brene's Brown's, Brene Brown's research for my yeah. dissertation. And I also um, looked at how people's sense of shame impacts their physiology. How this fear of being found out um, increases our, our, um, our sympathetic nervous system, like how it ends up dominating our experiences. And if your sympathetic nervous system is dominating your life, then you can't make sound decisions. And mm. so I, I looked at that, looked at how I experienced it myself and then how my clients experience it. And um, it's, it's another box. I, I just love being free from the boxes. Yeah. And it is kind of amusing when someone shows up in my life to um, try to put me in that box. And I'm just like, oh, I, I don't I. I'm sorry. <laughs> Perhaps that's something you're ashamed of. I'm just letting you know that what you said was hurtful to me. And um, I, I still have feelings I, and my heart can hurt, but I'm not going in that box. Yeah, well, like, it, goes, is, it goes back to what you said earlier about uh, right at the very beginning, like this is the, the, the poem. This is the essence of therapy to help people be free from these things. Mm hmm. And so then as you, as you're describing it, when, when you feel like you're free of these things and then other people try to come and become your jailer, let's use the metaphor yeah, or, or to build the cage around you, then the free person who's aware says, no, thanks. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I also say you poked me in the chest with that key and that mm. really hurt. So I'm also not ashamed of having a feeling behind it. You poked me. That really hurt. But I'm not going there. I'm not going in there. But I'm, I'm just really wondering why you why you did that. What's going on with you, dude? Why did you try to put me in there? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be in there. And 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 very often that person that's that 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 jailer is in their own jail. They're reaching their arms out through some bars and trying to put me back in, back in jail. I'm not going back to jail. <laughs> I like it out here. It smells good. It tastes good. And yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole notion of, of if, if my construction of the world is this and, 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 and you represent something that isn't that I need to, I've got to categorize you somehow. I've got, yes. to, I've got to put you in, I mean, our, you know, as you well know, well know, our brains are just designed to put things into categories and boxes to, mm -hmm. oh, this 
is that. I mean, Sesame Street, love it, right? But one of these things does not look like the other, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're t- <laughs> we just do that mm-hmm. without even Sesame Street, but uh-huh, uh-huh. but that sort of thing. One of these things does not does not. Well, so how do I want to go back to this? This really interests me. So how how might someone know that their sympathetic nervous system is, ah. is sort of leading the way? How might they how might they have a clue that that's part of this? environment that they're creating for themselves the first way is noticing an elevated heart rate you know when someone says something to you and your heart rate goes higher than if you can literally feel your heart beating you know there's a fear response happening inside of you and when that happens you're going to do one of two three one of three things you're either going to fight or you're going to fly away or you're going to play dead Mm. and there's lots of different ways to fight you can fight with your words. You can fight with your fists. You can fight with your physical presence, trying to overshadow someone. Um, I find that a lot of what we do now is we fight with words, which makes social media very dangerous. Um, we fight now through canceling people out because of one error that they make. Um, we, we fight, and, and so I find that when people choose to cancel people out, it's because they're living in a box. When there's no curiosity around, wow, I wonder what, hmm, I wonder what will make this happen to this person. There's no mercy. So the first way is when I hear, when I, you know, when, if you know you're, if someone's trying to put you in a box, your heart rate's going to go up and you're going to go into fight mode, or you're going to fly away, or you're going to play dead. Um, and all of those are an invitation to ask yourself exactly what am I? And very often um, when we feel someone's putting us in a box, our response is to put them back in a box. So we defend or we blame or we judge. Did you call me a jerk? You're the jerk. Mm. Now, don't forget what you did on September 25th, 1977. I was there. I remember. Like, it's like, right. whoa. whoa, really? Is that what we're doing? And so I, I, what I notice in myself and what I notice, you know, in my work is when I, when I feel myself defending myself, I know that there's a box, like there's, there's a box coming because I really don't have to defend myself. I can just say, no, thank you. I don't have to fight you because you're trying to put me in a box. I can just be tall. I can just shore up my own dignity and say, no, thank you. So how do you, how do you, when you're, when you're helping people walk through this or even for yourself, how do you, what kinds of things, practices um, could we have in order to stay in that kind of, I'm I'm just going to call it a presence of mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because to me, when I, when I, when I coach people, I I tell them, listen, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you out of your stories Mm -hmm. about how things are and into, and into your prefrontal cortex where, where answers and solutions and possibilities and presence are. Yeah. Because that ancient brain is saying, run, fight, Mm-hmm. play dead as you would say right mm-hmm. it is it's saying all those things and it is making that other person evil or whatever it is so how do we get you back so what kind of things what kinds of things do you suggest people do to sort of stay in that presence of mind well the first thing we do which is what we did together is we we breathe and while i'm breathing with a person i'm also informing them um 
and inviting them to listen to their body and also informing them of what is happening in their bodies during that breath. I want people to understand that they have the power on their own to bring their mind, their body, their spirit back into balance. And that breath is the number one tool because that breath lets you stimulate the vagus nerve and then ask yourself, am I in danger right now, right now? Most of the time, the answer is no, I'm not in danger. Is there a threat right now? It is harder to do right now because there's so many threats, real and imagined. And the, the brain doesn't differentiate if it's a real threat or an imagined threat, like when you were talking about people getting stuck in their story. So I, I first thing I want to do is breathe with people. And, and I do a fair, I mean, I do a fair amount of breathing with all of my clients. We begin with the breath. We take breaths in the middle. We end with the breath. We do, I do a lot of guided imagery where we close our eyes and just like our conversation earlier, tapping into um, it, the imagery exercise can vary. Sometimes I have people talk to their body, have them talk to an ancestor. I will have them talk to go back and go back to that day. Let's go there. Let's go there. You and me, you're 48 and uh, you're 48 right now, you and I, but we're going to go and, and have a a conversation with, with five-year-old Jackie. Let's go and 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 talk to her. What does she look like? What is her, what is the color of her hair? Look at her face. And what did, what does she need to know right now? And so people talk to their younger self, and they tell that younger self, "Girl, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You got this." And so for me, um, a part of my Sufi teachings is I guide people to understand that there's well, you use the word box. And we use the word veil. Mm. So there's many, many veils. So by the end of the session, I just want to lift one. I'm not trying to lift thousands of veils. I just want to lift one. <laughs> just one. And so we use imagery. We, Like I said, we, we, we do a lot looking at our ancestors, not to judge, but just to observe so we can change patterns. Um, and it's an ongoing, it's a lifelong thing. I think, I think we, spend the re we spend our entire lives leaving those boxes, lifting those veils. And then to be in awe when you're like, oh my God, this just happened? And I'm not scared. I'm not upset. I'm not shaking. I'm not checking out of the building. I'm not, you know, my clients are like, oh, I got upset and I didn't get drunk. I didn't have sex with a stranger. I didn't, you know, <laughs> eat the whole pie. <laughs> I didn't, right, I didn't go get a second food. gallon of ice cream or yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, that didn't happen. Wow. That didn't happen. Mm. Um, and so then they're amazed. And so the other piece that I, that I really love to teach people is, you know, how walking out of the box is really you restoring your, you restore your dignity and no one else can. It's up to you. There's a, there's a, a peace builder named, um, I'll think of her name in a second. But she wrote two books about dignity. I can't believe I forgot her name in this moment. Um, but I quote her a lot in my in my in my um, presentations and in my um, in my conversations with clients. And she she has traveled. Anyway, she's she's gone into war zones to build peace between factions. And what she found is that every war at the root has a dignity violation. And it's like, it, it seems really simple, but it, 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 it ignites a war. I, 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 this leader called that leader a name. 
those things are real. Yeah. We saw it in the presidential debates. I mean, any of those, any of those comments that were flung could have resulted in a fist fight in another world. Well, it was kind of a fist fight, but you know, it's like, these are dignity violations. So how do you restore it? I'm thinking about a woman I'm working with right now. Um, she had a horrible childhood, a horrible, horrible childhood. And um, she is at finally at this place where she's working and she's she's making a strong income. And like, she, I just knew she was awesome from the day I saw her, but she didn't know how awesome she was. I was like, girl, you're amazing. And um, and now she, she's claiming her amazingness. But what she's really reclaiming is, is her value, her worthiness. And now she's generating an income that matches who she's always been. Mm-hmm. Well, as, you, as you look back uh, over the years that you've, that you've been doing this work, mm-hmm. do you feel like the events of 2020 uh, with with you know again pandemic social unrest this this uh, p- presidential election do you feel like do you feel like the work is do you feel like the work has gotten harder or do you think it's gotten easier or has it just shifted or how would you describe it if there's been a change um well for me 2020 just felt like the next step like it was gonna happen I wasn't surprised when any of these events happen. I was saddened by them. I'm still sad. I lost another friend to COVID over the weekend. I'm sad. And and I, I cry every day about something about around this pandemic. Um, but also uh, one thing that I get excited about that I do with my clients and with, and with myself is I've been looking at, I've been sort of separating the two. I've been looking at Corona and COVID. <laughs> People think I'm crazy, but mm. Corona, she's she's like amazing. She's the earth. She's our mother. She wears a crown. She's this beautiful light that, you know, is across the moon. She's amazing. And she's making us look at the world and go, wow, whoa, I can slow down. I can fall in love. I can be with my children. I can watch the squirrels. I can find peace in something as simple as taking a walk down the street, in the woods. Wow. Corona is wow. And then COVID is harsh. COVID's killing people. COVID is people fighting in the streets over whether or not to wear a mask. COVID is, is um, fighting in the streets over any, any number of things that we've been looking at. COVID is bodies piled up because they don't have the financial resources to have their, to have their bodies respected in the way that they should be. That's what COVID. But Corona has shown a light on these injustices. You know, Corona is like, hey, guys, look at this. Hey, guys, look at COVID. <laughs> Corona is like, hey, guys, look at COVID. <laughs> And, and leaving us with no other choice but to lift everybody out of those boxes. We can't decide that you stay in the box and I come out. Um, corona and COVID are like, look, all of y'all got lungs. Mm. <laughs> mm. All of y'all have lungs. And Corona is like, yeah, 
you have lungs, you need air, you need to put these airplanes down so you can breathe. You need to look at what's happening in the Amazon. Those, that's the lungs of our earth and she caught on fire. Listen, guys, listen, I love you, listen. So I'm kind of in awe of Corona. I mean, COVID is, is no joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been interesting to me to, to see how people respond before and after a COVID-19 episode hits mm-hmm. closer to home. Mm-hmm. Right. It it remind it reminds me of the way people uh, treat uh, people LGBTQ plus folks. Right. Who, oh, they're this, they're that, they're the other thing, and then all of a sudden you find out Uncle Fred, Aunt Mary, uh, you know your your, 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 your brother, <laughs> you know your sister, your your whatever, you know, and then you go oh, and then they go oh, and then but I mean but COVID nineteen is like oh, my mom got it, you know, and she's been in the hospital for three weeks and I haven't, I can't see her and all, and she can't even talk to me. And before that, they were like, this isn't real. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's real now, honey. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me. I like that. And I like that when you say, you know, breathe and you connect with your body and, and almost as a culture, it, it just feels like if we could if we could if we could literally breathe in in the same in the same room which we have a hard time doing now because of covid-19 but mm-hmm. and we could just and we could see each other's bodies i mean we could see each other for who we are you know i'm white you're sienna you know i, I mean and then, sienna. right burnt sienna <laughs> and, and, i mean we could really see each other yeah, you know and and, yeah. and not be ashamed of saying hey i, I see this and that's different Yes. But it's not, but, but it's, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And anyway, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, so as you, so going back to our, to the metaphor of, of, of cages and keys, have, have there been things that were life giving to you at one point in your, in your life that, that later on you, you, you had to go, you know what, that's not life giving anymore. I need to, I need to, I need to walk away from that. Oh, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, I think was alcohol. Um, I don't know if alcohol was ever life-giving, but it was certainly, uh, it was a part of my life and it was how I socialize with a lot of people. And it is, it's so embedded in our culture. Mm. It's just like so embedded in every part of American culture. People just drink and people have an expectation that you're going to drink. Um, I don't have a clear uh I have a lot of addiction in my family line, um, but I went to a bar one day in the in the mid '90s, and I was like, eh, "I'm just gonna have cranberry juice and seltzer." Like it was not a it was not a plan. I was like, "Um, yeah," and I was even like, "Oh, is that what I'm doing? Oh, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Give me cranberry juice and seltzer." And um, the friends that I was with, they were like, "Is that what you're drinking? Yeah, that's what. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm drinking." And it set into motion like this very conscious decision. I, I'm not drinking. And then I was like, I, I don't even like alcohol. And I don't like the things I did when I was drinking. And I don't like the things my friends did when I was drinking. And I don't like you when you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like you when you're sober, though. 
because I can be with all of your emotions, even if you're sad when you're sober. But when mm. you're when you're sad or you're angry and you're drunk, I can't be with you because you're in a box and you have the key sitting inside there with you. And I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. And so uh, it was it was it was a very challenging over time. It became a big challenge uh, to let go of relationships that I didn't want to let go of. But the the people that I was around were like they were physically uncomfortable mm. when I stopped drinking. But it also gave me this amazing um, frame of presence and under deeper understanding when I started to work with people in recovery of what that felt like. I had no idea I was getting prepared for, you know, all this great stuff. And the day I stopped drinking, um, that same week was the same week I met my, I'm sorry, the same week my former husband, not former, farmer husband, right. was in Senegal saying goodbye to his his mother who was passing away. I had no idea this was happening. Mm. So this is like, you know, two free people interconnecting over over the ocean and so he's in senegal around the same time may of 93 and his uh his mother is literally telling him when you go back to the states find you need to, you need to find a wife don't worry she's american i'll be fine with that find mm. a wife and then he comes back at the end of that month and we met mm. and he looked at me and he goes ah, i'm gonna marry you and i was like <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> I wasn't in the box, but I was also not doing that mm. at that time. Mm. Um, so yeah, but 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 that set into stage like so much freedom for me, so much freedom. And and I must admit though, sometimes in the course of my life, when I've seen people live in that box, I have been less polite than I should be if I love them, and I'm just like, get out of there! <laughs> Come on, let's go. And how that actually doesn't work. Mm. I wish it worked. The only way to help them out the box is to love them through the box. That's what I was. That was going to be my question. Was what? Yeah. yeah how do you? Yeah. Because when you when I, I I mean I hear from people a lot when when you've when you've moved through something yourself or whether or either that or you've been taught something and you understand it and someone else is not there. It's, it's so easy to tell them, but they, they're not going to get it. You know, no. they've got to come to it themselves somehow. Mm -hmm. I love that to just love them through it, to just mm -hmm. walk beside them, have maybe go back to the word you used before. To, I mean, to, to have mercy on them and on yeah. yourself that you, you, you know, I don't have to fix you. Yeah. I may think I you're know. wrong. I may think you're whatever. I may think you're, but, but I don't, one, I probably can't fix you. And two, <laughs> I, it's not my responsibility to fix you, yeah. Um, but I can love you, and that's that's the hardest. Yeah, but there is a third, and the third part mm. is I'm also not getting in that box with you. Mm. So I'm gonna go take a walk, climb a tree, play a game, sew, sing, breathe, dance, and uh, I'll see you later. Mm. I love you. And, and and also don't call me when you're in the box. You can't you can't call me when you're in that box. You yeah. can call me, you can you you're free to call me when you're sober, but you mm. can't call me when you're there. Mm. And I've literally had people that I love call me drunk and say, Oh, I forgot. 
<laughs> There's the boundary, right? They cross the yes. boundary and then they, then they put it back in place for themselves. Oh, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. Not now. <laughs> not now. Yeah. I'll talk to you. In, I'll talk to you in six hours. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they'll call me the next morning. Okay. Uh, yay. <laughs> I love you. How you doing, baby? You know, and it's great. That's beautiful. So they know. That's they beautiful. Know. Well, what's the most important key in your life? Like maybe just for today, but, or maybe, but what, like right now, what's, what's the most important key? The important key, you mean personally or professionally? Well, I guess they're interrelated. Either, either one or both. You, you don't have to have just one. You can okay. t- take this wherever you want. The to. most important key for me comes back to the beginning of this conversation is I want to stay who I was created to be without getting caught in what anyone is trying to impose on me. And I also want to help other people stay, become, return, and then stay who they were supposed to be. Because I really 100% believe every single person has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Everything. And just because we don't know it doesn't mean it doesn't have purpose. How have, how did you connect with that purpose? How did you, because I know there are a lot of people out there who are like, I just, yeah, I get, I, I hear you. And I want to be that too. How, how do I, how do I day by day figure that out or whatever? Well, that's a process that I guide people through. But, but in a nutshell, what I help people do is, is again, we go back. We go back. What, tell me about your life before you had a degree, before you had a job. Um, it's, I've done it with police officers. Like, what was the quality that you demonstrated in your life that led to you doing this work? And they say, you know, uh, well, when I was four, my, my sister, I mean, crazy stuff. Like, you know, when I was four, my sister... Uh, was on one side of the creek and I laid across the creek and she walked on my back. Like these are the kind of stories they tell. Mm. I was like, ah, oh, mm. what are those qualities that you came up? What are the quality that you demonstrated? I was a protector. Ah, so your inclination, your natural inclination is to be a protector. When did you lose that power? Cause that's your original power. That's what you're supposed to be doing. When did you lose that and shift from protecting to harm? Mm. When did that happen? And they will tell, oh, this this regulation, that regulation. I was tired. I started drinking. I did this. I did that. Ah, you left your essence. So our work is just you coming back and being what you were supposed to be. Because you're supposed to be a protector and you're beautiful when you're protecting. Mm. People love, I mean, people love to remember who they're supposed to be. That's in that an interesting phrase. Mm-hmm. We love to remember who we're supposed to be. Yeah. But there is a dark force out there that tells us, no, you can't. No, no, no. You can't be a protector. You have to, you have to fight. You have to beat, you have to beat down. Yeah. You have to use force. Yeah. I'm guessing it might be related, but what if you were, if you could drop a key for, we'll go big, the world, what, what would that key be? No, don't kill yourself. Mm. Don't kill yourself slowly and don't kill yourself quickly. Don't kill yourself. Live, love, make mistakes, say you're sorry. Mm. 
I gave you like five of them, but yeah. That's okay. No, that's, I think mean, they're all related. They're all related. Ah, yeah. oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Thank uh, I, you. I can't, yeah, I can't. I always go back, I, I go back and listen to every conversation. And then I always do a, a companion conversation where I just talk about either one of the keys or something that I heard or something that I want, I need to dig deeper on. I can't wait to go back and listen to this again. <laughs> uh, it's just so much here. Um, I love your work. Thank I love, you. Love, love what you're doing. Um, and so as we, as we wrap up here, the, the podcast here today, um, you can find Dr. Sabrina on Facebook. Uh, her Facebook page is Live Forgiveness Daily. Um, on Instagram, uh, look up, just look up Dr. Sabrina, you'll find her. Um, and then on, on the internet, it's uh, theheartnest.com altogether. Um, and you can go to the Center for Mind Body Medicine is .org, cmbm.org, or um, Dr. Sabrina njai.com and i'm going to i'm going to spell that out for everybody d r s a b r i n a n d i a y e.com that's that's a lot and it's awesome <laughs> um, so you find her but if you go to the heart nest you'll find her so um, for sure if you're looking online and you can learn more about me at joelmorgan.com i'm also at uh, joelmorgancc like carbon copy on facebook and on instagram uh dr sprina thank you so much for being my thank volume you, 11 yeah i love the number 11 too yeah, yeah good volume 11 and so yeah. this is how i like to end is May the sage drop the key to unlock the cage in which you find yourself. Amen. Amen. Thank Until you. Until next time, everybody. <laughs>